Good morning, everybody. Will you please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word? This morning's scripture comes from Galatians 5, 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Job. Way to bring the word with power. Thank you so much, Megan. Uh, we are uh, in week six, week six of our, of our sermon series through the book of Galatians, uh, taking this journey, um, examining uh, what Paul has to say about key subjects of the Christian faith and, and what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. So uh, if you're joining us for the first time, you're, you're jumping in on, on a great Sunday. And the reason why is because I'm, I'm, I'm three cups of coffee in. Like I'm, I'm, I'm ready, wired to go. Um, I'm not even going to pay attention to that clock or that clock, okay? We're just going to go for it in Jesus' name. Walk out whenever you're ready. Please don't do that. Uh, so we are in, in week six, and if this is your first time joining us, I, I want to thank you so much for, for being with us in person or online. Uh, it's a sacred thing when, when we gather together to see, uh, to worship God in song, uh, to interact with each other in community, uh, to, to worship God in giving and in the word and see how these ancient scriptures intersect uh, with our modern lives and see what is God calling us to do? Uh, what, is, what is God calling us to respond to? And most importantly, what is God calling us to believe? What is he calling us to, to believe this morning? And, and, and this time in the word, uh, we're going to learn a few things, but, but hear me. This time is not about learning. It's about transformation. Uh, God meets us when we look at the word and we respond to the word in faith. And, and when we encounter God, we will be transformed. And so as we look into this word, I want you to do two things, just two things. One, be expectant. God is in this room and he is moving. Two or more are gathered. God is in our midst. Anything can happen. Be expectant. And the second thing, be invested. Uh, look into your Bible. Uh, have your journal ready to take notes and reflect on. We're, we're prone to forgetfulness. So remembering the things that God is speaking to us during this time is, is a great discipline in, in, in writing down that helps us remember and internalize the word. So let's be expectant and let's be invested. So with that, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to prepare our hearts to receive his word. Father, we come in Jesus' name, and uh, I praise you for the gift that is the church, this assembly of the saints. Lord, I praise you for this reality that is absolutely true, uh, that you are here with us, uh, that you are in our midst. And Lord, I praise you that today people are going to experience great breakthrough, transformation, and new life, uh, because you are here, and you are the author of life. You are the creator and the recreator. Lord, I thank you that you are writing and rewriting stories this morning. Uh, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to work through verses 
13 through 15. Let's look at it one more time. If you need a Bible, I want to invite you to shoot your hand up real quick. I'm going to ask Alec to hand them out. Uh, uh, keep your hand up, and, and we'll, or, or Matt, thank you, Matt. And we're just going to throw a Bible in your hand. Uh, this is our gift to you. Uh, you keep this Bible. Uh, you write your name in it. Put your address in it. Put your phone number in it. Uh, put your birthday in it. So if somebody ever steals it, they, they return it uh, and maybe give you a birthday gift. Uh, that is our gift to you. We value the word. It's a sacred gift. Uh, so we want want to look at it together. So verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Uh, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now, I heard this amazing quote uh, this week about the Christian life, and I want to share it with you. It went something like this. Uh, the Christian life is not to be thought this way. Quote, I, I have a lot of good things, and then I, I come to church and I added another good thing. The Christian life is really this. Christ is my life. End quote. Now, I love this because it helps clarify what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is to say, Christ is my life. You see, following Jesus is not just an activity we do with whatever time we, let, we have left over after we get off school or a hard day at work, uh, after we take the kids to all their activities and then have enough mental energy to sit down and focus on Jesus and give him our attention. No, Jesus is not part of our scheduled life, church. He is life. He is the beginning and the end. He is alpha and omega, omega, creator and recreator of life. And he is our life. Now, this is one thing that uh, Paul, the church planting missionary, is trying to drill into the Galatian souls. You see, the foundation for being in a relationship with God is not your activity or ability to be a good religious rule follower. Let me say that again. The foundation for entering into relationship with God has nothing to do with your performance or your ability to have everything figured out and know an awesome amount of stuff about God. Rather, the thing that will sustain your relationship with God, the very thing that is your foundation and sustaining power for relationship with God is being able to say, Christ is is my life. Christ is my life. And it's this timeless truth that's often been communicated this way. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And, and this is significant because in the scriptures, the word salvation means three things. It carries three different meanings that speak to our past, to our present, and to our future. When we think about salvation, sometimes we think about uh, Jesus saving us from our sins. And though that is true, there's a lot more richness to it. You see, salvation speaks to our past. We're saved. Paul uses the word justified. That, that in one moment, Jesus died for all of our sins and made us the righteousness of God. And now we are in right standing with him. It's Jesus who justifies us. It's not our performance or our rule following or our ability to get everything right. Jesus is the one who rescues us from our sins and sets us in right standing with God. That is past tense. That happens immediately when you place your faith in Jesus. 
But salvation also speaks to our present reality. It's this idea of being saved, or as some theologians call it, being sanctified. This is the idea that we are becoming more and more like Christ as we submit our lives to him and submit every single part of our lives to his lordship. Uh, And this is the idea that, and you know this to be true, that when you come into Jesus, everything isn't like, awesome sunny days. There's, there's still internal struggles and battles and sin at work in our heart that needs to be submitted to Christ. That's the process of sanctification. Entering into relationship with God, daily surrender to him as we become more like him. And the third idea of salvation is what some people call glorification. And this is the idea that, that Jesus is coming back to rule and reign forever to once and for all remove sin and rid the world of all sin and demonic powers and principalities, establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, the way it was intended to be in the beginning, and we rule and reign with Jesus in glorified bodies. Jesus plus nothing equals all of those things. It is Jesus who began this good work of salvation. It's Jesus who's sustaining you presently. And it's Jesus who will carry you into glory. And when you transfer your faith away from yourself and away from your abilities to save yourself and you transfer them to King Jesus, King Jesus justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies. This is good news, church. And the reason this is possible is because God the Father sends God the Son on a mission to reverse the effects of sin, restore a fallen world, form a new family of freed prisoners, you and I, who have found forgiveness of sin in Jesus and new life and power through the Holy Spirit at work in us. And the church planting missionary, the Apostle Paul, who was a recipient of this grace, boldly proclaimed, Christ is my life. This is how he said it in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, uh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is my life. So so Paul reminds them, hey, hey church, sin and death have been defeated. Jesus is your life. Yet there's one awkward detail that should be mentioned. The presence of sin and death still remain. And we know this to be true. We're witnessing as as we speak. And so a question began to come up in this early church. If sin and death have been defeated, yet their presence still remains, how do I experience victory and freedom? How do I experience victory and freedom? Yes, I, I understand that I've been crucified with Christ. Yes, I understand that Christ is my life, but my flesh is still here. Yes, I understand that Jesus has died for my sins, but I'm still gripped by sin. I still feel the effects of sin at work in me. What does it look like to experience victory? What does it look like to walk in freedom? Let's look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love 
serve one another. So we're going to focus on, on those two words for a moment, flesh and opportunity, because they're going to really unpack this idea of what it means to walk in freedom. Uh, now, when Paul says, do not use your uh, freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, what Paul would have had in mind when he was using that word flesh is not necessarily our physical bodies, but this word time and time again represents our sinful nature. Uh, so when Paul used the word flesh, he's, he's not thinking about the body. Rather, he's thinking about living outside of the realm of the Spirit of God. And so there's two ways to live. Either we live outside the realm of God in our flesh, or we live inside of his realm, inside of his will, and that's accomplished through the Spirit. And so the flesh means sinful nature. I want you to remember that. Uh, this is the way Peter describes it in 2 Peter 2.19. They, they promise them freedom, speaking of false teachers, uh, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. First uh, Peter 2.11. Beloved, I, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh, these sinful desires that wage war against God's kingdom. Flesh, sinful nature. And then he, then he uses opportunity. Uh, now, this word is interesting because in your translation, uh, or in some translation, it uses the word indulge. Uh, don't indulge these appetites that are at work in you. Uh, but what's also significant about this word that I want to draw attention to for a moment is that this would have been a Greek military term as well when we uh, examine the word in Greek. Uh, that would have meant like a base of operations or a starting point for a military maneuver. It carried this idea of like a launching pad, a, a platform. And so the idea that, that, that Paul is trying to communicate is that you're using your freedom to launch you into deeper sin instead of allowing your freedom to, to launch you into deeper intimacy with King Jesus. And one of the key issues that, that Paul brings up is that more often than not, when we examine our lives and we examine our freedom, rarely are we using it as opportunities to grow into deeper intimacy with God. More often than not, it seems like we use our freedom to launch us into sin. Selfish desires outside of God's will. And he says, when we do this, we are actually imprisoning ourselves to the mastery of sin that Jesus died to free us from. And here's what Todd Wilson says. He says, when we abuse our freedom, we lose our freedom. By turning freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, we become not more free, but more enslaved to our own selfish pleasures, passions, and desires. When we abuse our freedom... We lose our freedom. Now, somewhere in the past couple hundred years, there was a, a radical shift that some sociologists um, attribute to the Enlightenment that said there was a period where when we think about freedom, it was always in the context of freedom for. Freedom for the worship of God. Freedom for the mission of the church. Free to live in union with God. And then somewhere in the past couple hundred years, and you can attribute to this because we see it all over social media, there was a radical shift. Instead of freedom for, it was freedom to. Freedom to do whatever I want. Uh, 
Freedom to to do whatever I feel like, freedom to do whatever I want with my money, to do whatever I want with my body, to do whatever I want with my life. And in doing so, the idea was you would experience the optimal amount of freedom and the highest quality of life. But you and I know that when we do that, we further enslave ourselves. This mechanism of sin. So what does this look like in the Galatian church? This is how Paul describes it in verse 15, uh, the situation on the ground. But if, you debi- but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So, so to, to be clear, Paul is not talking about any form of cannibalism or, or some weird fight club happening after hours at church. That's not the situation on the ground. Uh, rather, biting and devouring is how Paul describes the debates and the arguments that the false teachers were having with Christians. Vicious debates about the role of God's law and what it means to follow Jesus. Vicious debates about what it means to be free and how to pursue freedom. And, and like most flesh-driven debates, it's not really about what is right, but who is right. And, and that was the environment that they were entering into. Lots of internal conflict and lots of turmoil. Your way is wrong. My way is right. Don't follow Jesus the way Paul is saying. Do it my way. You don't need to abandon the law. You actually need to take on the law and do all these unnecessary things. And what we know from history is that there was a lot of internal fights and conflict in the Galatian churches. Uh, You had the false teachers and the faithful Christians going at it. And on top of that, there were different factions and subgroups of Christians within the church creating division. Around what, you may ask? Spiritual conflicts. Do we follow Jesus or or do we keep the law? Oh, your law keepers sit over there. Oh, your Jesus followers, sit over there. And then there would be this internal division, waging war, conflicts, social conflicts, Jews or Gentiles. If, if you're not a part of God's chosen people, don't even come into the building. Stay on the outside, male or female, free people or slaves. What is y'all's role in our community? See, we think that this is just some literary battle that Paul's going back and forth on, 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 on uh, social media, you know, uh, keyboard warrior. That's not what's happening here. Rather, there was very real conflict, division, and turmoil, and fights. Incredible hostility. In fact, this is how Scott McKnight says. He says, when we think of the Galatian churches, we should not think of a fork in the road. With Paul going down one road and the Judaizers, the false teachers, uh, going down the other, each beckoning the Galatian travelers to make the right decision as they come to the fork. Rather... We should think of Paul and the Judaizers on the stage platform, having made their cases for their systems, and the Galatian congregation at war with one another, forming separate enclaves and having proud leaders claiming minor victories. We should think of rivalries. We should think of separate house churches not speaking with one another, of spiritual pride on the part of those who've been circumcised, and a slogan after slogan being bandied about in the communities. This picture we draw is sad. Sad because they adopted the pattern of letting their freedom become a launching pad for indulging the flesh. They allowed their freedom to be a launching pad, not to create unity and harmony, but to create division and essentially saying, if you're not following Jesus the way I'm following Jesus, then you're doing it wrong. 
and either get on board or get out of here. And church, how often do we do that? Maybe we don't say it out loud, but we examine our lives and spiritual pride takes over and we say something like this, man, if you were doing what I was doing, you wouldn't be struggling that way. Or if you were praying and reading your Bible and showing up to church and showing up to group, you would, you would be okay. And instead of creating harmony and unity and extending care to one another, we let our spiritual pride take over. And now we've become the authority for what it means to follow Jesus. That is the source for all sorts of division and disunity. And the issue at hand is that the Galatians are adopting and pushing out a system a way of living that they believe will produce the greatest degree of freedom. Hear me again. The issue at hand is that you have false teachers and people claiming to follow Christ saying, here is a system, a regimen, a a routine, a way of living. And if you adopt this, if you live to these standards, if you follow the king this way, you will experience the greatest degree of freedom. And church, any system of freedom or any pursuit of freedom that isn't Christ alone does not produce freedom. It produces bondage. It produces further enslavement. And here's the funny part is that we can't fault them because we do this every single day. In one way or another, we've all adopted a system of freedom that we believe will enable us to experience the optimal amount of freedom. Uh, And so we hear things like, do this and do that, and then God will bless you. Uh, Wake up earlier, go to bed earlier, read one psalm, one proverb, do your Bible reading plan, pray this long, uh, walk around your house this many times, and then you'll be blessed and experience a greater degree of freedom. And, and, And however silly or however serious it is, there's some things that we add in addition to Christ that we think we must do to experience freedom because deep down inside, we question, is Jesus really sufficient all by himself? Can Jesus really bring freedom and and breakthrough and hope and healing by grace alone? And and deep down inside, there's this war raging inside of our hearts to justify ourselves, to do something, to contribute, to to make a carve out a seat for us at the table and show ourselves worthy when God in his great grace and love for us sets us free, delivers us, sustains us, and empowers us to follow him. And it has nothing to do with our efforts. It has everything to do with his love so that we don't boast and say, hey, look at what I accomplished and look what I did so that no one may boast. In one way or another, we've adopted a system of freedom that we believe will enable us to experience the optimal amount of freedom, living a specific way and doing these specific things and and you'll be more free, sin free, drug free, stress free, debt free, pain-free, fill-in-the-blank-free. And these things aren't bad, church, hear me. But they miss the point of freedom. Because biblically speaking, freedom is primarily relational. According to the scriptures, freedom is primarily relational. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. Freedom in the Bible is relational. As I've heard it said many times before me, freedom is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. 
a, a traditional prayer that would be rehearsed in more liturgical settings reads like this. Set us free, O God, from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty, the freedom, that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Set us free, O God, from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Freedom that has been made known and realized, not in our abilities or our performance, but in Christ Jesus. Freedom is a person. And what I love about this prayer is that it it captures uh, the view of freedom that is portrayed over and over again in the scriptures. That the freedom has less to do with a way of living or an activity or a lifestyle to be preserved. Rather, in the scripture, freedom is harmony with God. When your will, when your desires harmonize with God's will and God's desire, that is freedom. Freedom is a relationship with God as a result of, of being set free from the powers of sin, of sin that keep us from entering into a relationship with God to begin with. The good news of the kingdom of God is that freedom is not an initiative for you to pursue and uphold and rally around. The good news of the kingdom of God is that freedom is a person. Freedom is Jesus. Freedom is connection to God the Father through Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean for you and I? This means, church, that the more vibrant and connected you are to God, the more freedom you will enjoy because freedom is a person, not a way of living that we use to indulge our desires. The more vibrantly and intimately connected we are to freedom, the more we will experience freedom in our life. The more vibrantly and connected we are to the person of love, the more love will come in us and overflow out of us to the world around us. So so this means that, that freedom is not options. Freedom is not options. It's not saying I I can do whatever I want. I can see whoever I want. I can live however I want. I can use my body to do whatever I want. Use my money to get whatever I want. You do you. Freedom is not options. In fact, that's what the Bible describes as enslavement. Because you're enslaved to yourself and now you have to experience this endless cycle of living to uh, experience some form of living in life. Freedom is not options. The good news of the kingdom of God is that freedom is a person. A person who has come not to busy you with activities, but to remove the power of the sinful mechanism in your heart designed to enslave you. Freedom is a person, and uh, the experience of freedom then means that we allow that person to have complete control over our lives. How do you experience freedom? Moment by moment, surrender to King Jesus and allowing him to rule and govern and control your entire life. The further quote, Scott McKnight, says this. In general, we see something fundamentally important here as to how Paul depicts the Christian life. It is life in the spirit. The life of a person who is surrendered to letting the spirit have complete control. 
But we see here also that, that one does not gain this life by discipline or by mustering up the energy. One does not huddle with oneself in the morning, gather together his or her forces, charge onto the field of life full of self-determined direction. Rather, the Christian life is consistent surrender to the Spirit. The good news of the kingdom of God is that freedom is an invitation to draw near to Jesus and allow the Spirit, not the flesh, to have complete control over your life. And the rhythm of Christian living, as we've said before, is, these, is, is two sides of one coin, faith and repentance. Constantly drawing near to Jesus in faith and repenting to him for areas where we let flesh or sin or control take over and saying all over again, Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, take over. Yesterday, I was sitting with a friend, and, and, and we did just that. We were sitting in the lobby, having a time of ministry, encouraging one another. And we just said, you know what? Essentially, forget all this talking. Let's pray, and let's seek the Lord. And, 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 and talking is great. Hear me. But we have to surrender to the Spirit if we want to experience freedom. And so my brother Dave and I, come on, Dave, I love you, man. We just said, Lord, take over all over again. Take over. We, we surrender our life to you. Uh, we, all over again, we come into agreement that you're Lord and Savior. And I, I don't know what happened. Something happened in, in, in the moment where I, I, I just felt renewed and I felt filled with power again. Why? Because, church, that's what happens when you enter into God's presence. He renews you and he fills you and he empowers you. And how often do we think, let me get my worship song on. Let me get a quiet house. Let me get the optimal setting. Everything is good. Holy Ghost goosebumps take over now. Now the good news of the kingdom of God is that freedom is relational. And you serve a father who always hears you and listens to you and responds to you when you cry out, Lord, have my life. And he's a good father who'll carry you and sustain you fill you with his power and his grace and empower you to walk in the victory moment by moment that he's already died for you to receive. Freedom is a gift to be accepted and declaring and living in this reality. Christ is my life. Moment by moment, second by second, submission to King Jesus and saying, no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me and Christ coming inside of you, working through you to uh, realize all of the freedom and victory that he's died to get inside of you. How do you walk in freedom? How do you walk in victory? Moment by moment, faith in Jesus. Moment by moment, faith in Jesus for his moment by moment victory over the power of sin. So what do we do with this? Let's come surrender to King Jesus and let him fill us with his power and presence. Let his spirit empower us to walk, not by the flesh, which enslaves us, but by the spirit, which produces life and freedom and all these amazing fruit of the spirit that Brother Thaddeus is going to bring down next week. I can't wait for that. Uh, so if, uh, so um, let's just say he's going to bring the part two. Anything I left out, Thad, you, you got it next week, okay? <laughs> so let's come to King Jesus in prayer with every eye closed.